Lord, we stand here in your presence because we need you. We need you to abide with us. Other helps have failed us. Other things on which we've relied for comfort have fled. They have not supported us. And yet, Lord, you have revealed yourself to be the helper of the helpless. Abide with us, we pray. Abide with us by your word and your spirit as you speak again this morning to us. May we have ears to hear you and hearts that are soft and plowed up by your spirit that we would receive with meekness and humility and faith the word of God which brings life. Lord, it's true, at least certainly for some or many of us here, what we have just sung, that your love, the deep, deep love of Jesus is for us like an ocean, every drop of which is a blessing to us. That to enter into the, the love of the triune God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit is, is a haven of rest. It's heaven itself. And so, Lord, we pray that that love, that great love that you have for your own Son, that you, Lord Jesus, have for your Father, that you share Father and Son and Spirit together, and that love which you have made known to sinners in the gospel of Christ would be a love that rests upon us here today, a love that is revealed, that is clear, that is made known, and a love that we would, each of us, each of us enter into by faith in Christ. And so we pray that you would speak to us by your word and enable us to hear it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We have... Uh, been working our way through uh, the gospel according to Mark for several weeks now. And we come to chapter 4, and we're going to look at Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. It's commonly referred to as the parable of the sower, sometimes referred to as the parable of the soils. Either is fine. Uh, But regardless, it's a story, it's a parable that Jesus uses And it's, in fact, about a sower, it's about seed, and it's about soils. And what we'll see as we read this is that in verses 3 through 9, he tells the parable. Verses 10 through 12, he explains to his disciples off to the side, along with some other people, just why he continues to teach in parables. And then in verses 13 through 20, he gives the explanation of this parable. So we're going to read this. Uh, parable and its explanation from Mark 4. And I'd like to point out to you, and this is important, this is not just a, a nice sort of inside bit of knowledge or something, but this is one of only two parables that is recorded for us in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And it is explained every time it's given. It's an important parable. It's one that Jesus wants you to hear wants you to understand it. So let's give our attention to it. Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, 
And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches... And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Mark chapter 4 is one of only two major teaching sections in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, If you take the Gospel of John, for instance, it's very different. You can read your way through the Gospel of John, and you can find that it's just filled with these lengthy accounts, lengthy uh, records of the things that Jesus was teaching all the time in his ministry. But Mark is different. We've seen this all along, haven't we? Uh, Mark is very action-oriented, immediately, immediately, immediately. It's just packed with action, with activity, movement, and it's just sprinkled here and there with actual accounts of what Jesus was teaching. Now, this is one of two sections. Mark 13, which we'll get to sometime later, uh, is the other teaching section. This is the first that we come into. And so I think it's important for us to ask, as we come to this first major teaching section in Mark's gospel, why did he put this parable here? Now, we have to remember that the Gospels are not arranged in some strict chronological order. They're more of a 
of a slideshow than a timeline. The writers of the Gospels were not intending to place uh, one account alongside the other in strict chronological order, but rather to lay down scene after scene after scene from the life and ministry of Jesus in order to teach who he is, why he came, what he has done, and what it means to follow him. So Mark is no different. He tends to group things thematically, which means, again, it's important for us to ask, why did he put this here? And the answer to that, I think, is found as we just think for a moment about what we've seen so far in Mark's gospel. The most striking thing that happens at the very beginning of Mark is Jesus, in the beginning of his earthly ministry, his teaching, his preaching, comes and says, repent and believe in the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus then immediately, and Mark records it immediately as he begins to record his gospel, is proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now this is this just huge reality in the Bible that we must understand if we're going to understand who Jesus is, if we're going to understand what it means Uh, To be a Christian, to understand even what that is about, requires that we understand what the kingdom of God is. It's this this pointer, this, this reality that God made everything, he made everyone, and he's the king over everything and everyone that he's made. He's the king, he's the ruler, the rightful authority over all the world and over every one of you in this room. And in Jesus Christ... The kingdom of God has been inaugurated. It has come. Jesus is very aware of this himself. His coming means the coming of God's kingdom, God's reign, his rule, his kingly authority over all people and all things that he's made. Jesus is saying, that kingdom has come. It is now in your midst. Well, when the king comes to establish his kingdom, of course, everyone's glad for his arrival, right? Well, we've seen already, haven't we? In Mark, that the coming of the kingdom of God meets, meets with a mixed reception, mixed reviews. And that's true among us as well. Some of you have received God as the king. You've bowed your knee to Jesus Christ. You've acknowledged him. You love him. You serve him. You know the life and freedom that can come only through submitting to the king, to Jesus Christ. But perhaps not all of you have done so. The same kingdom has come. The king has come. That reality is not changed by our response. But your response to him has not been receiving him, but but resisting him, rejecting him, being disinterested in him. You live your own life in your own way, and you you really don't have any time for God. Not, Not really, not seriously. You live your own life. You go about it in your own way. You think your own thoughts. You come to your own conclusions. That doesn't mean that the kingdom of God doesn't apply to you. It applies to every one of you. You can't escape the fact that it applies to you. It just means that you're living in rebellion against the king. That is something as we go on through Mark that we'll see will have terrible consequences in the end. But that's what we see in Mark 1 and 2 and 3, that the kingdom of God comes in Jesus Christ. And there's all these different reactions. You see, some people immediately love Jesus. They, they, they will follow him to their own hurt, give themselves to him. Other people, eh, they're interested. They, they follow. There's always a crowd around Jesus. He has many fans, but fewer followers. 
And then there are those people who very quickly set themselves against Jesus. I, I hate him. We must destroy him. Very different reactions. One king, one kingdom, many reactions. Now, the question we ought to be asking ourselves is this. Why, why does this happen? Why does it work this way? Why, when the kingdom of God shows up, do, just, do people react so differently to him? Some with love, some with eh, lukewarm curiosity, others with hatred. Why does this happen? Well, I think Mark has put this parable where it is in this gospel to answer that question. And he puts this parable first. There are other parables that will follow and how we'll preach from them next week. But he puts this parable first because it is the parable of all parables. It's the parable he tells his disciples. It's the parable that helps you understand all the other parables. If you don't get this parable, you won't get the others. In fact, if you don't understand what this parable is talking about, nothing Jesus says will make sense to you. Because it is the parable that is about this. It's about how every one of you is responding to God right now. It's a parable that explains why you've dealt with God the way you have your whole life. It's a parable that explains why you think about him or don't the way you do now. It's a parable that is holding out in front of you, this is how the kingdom of God works. This is how his kingdom comes, and this is how people respond to it. It's a parable about all the other parables. And so that's why Jesus says twice, listen up. So I need to say that to us this morning. Listen. You notice in verse 3, he begins the parable by this, using this command to everyone. Listen. Hear me. Hear what I'm saying to you. And then when he concludes the telling of the parable itself in verse 9, he repeats himself more emphatically, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus is saying, are you listening to me? Do you really hear what I'm saying to you? Now, see, you can come into church and you can think, yeah, I've, I've heard this before. And maybe you have. But here's the thing. Anyone can hear Jesus, but not everyone really hears him. That's part of what we see in Isaiah 6. It's what we see here in this text. And I think you ought to be able to recognize that from your own experience. Anyone can hear what Jesus is saying, but not, not everyone really hears him. You might be listening, but are you hearing? Are you able to understand what Jesus is saying, who he is, what he's doing. This parable is about you. And in particular, it's about you because it's telling us, Jesus is telling us about four different soils, four different ways of reacting to the kingdom of God when it appears, which it has. Four different responses to Jesus, four different responses to the Bible, which is his word. So this parable, and they all are intended to work this way, parables, as you see from Jesus' description in verses 10, 11, and 12, are not nice stories to make it more easy for everybody to understand. For those who are on the inside, who believe in Jesus, they have this illuminating effect. But for those who are on the outside, who resist Jesus, they have this confusing, darkening effect. What is he saying? The parables are given to work their way down under your skin and to lodge themselves in your head and make you say, wait a minute, what does this mean? What is he saying about me? And that's precisely the point. 
where are you, this parable is saying. Where are you? If you can sit here for the next several minutes and get up and leave this morning and go about your day and never consider, where am I with respect to the kingdom of God? Where am I with respect to the word of God? Then you've not had ears to hear. Jesus is saying, and I'm saying in his name, listen, hear what he's saying. How are you responding to the good news of the kingdom of God? Well, we see the first response here in verse 4. Jesus says, there's a sower who went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. He explains that in verse 15. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. We can see that in in the parable, the main character is a sower. He's a, a man who goes out, a farmer. He goes out into his field, and there's a pathway, a stone pathway that works its way through his field that he's built, and he walks through his field, and he's scattering seed. Jesus tells the disciples that the seed is the word of God. It ought to be plain to us that Jesus himself is the sower. He's the one who's actually in the midst of doing what this parable explains. As he, as he gives this parable, he's, he's giving a parable about what he's in the, in the very moment of doing, which is scattering the word of God, preaching it, teaching it, speaking the word of God as God himself. And in the parable, Jesus, the sower, is sowing the seed, the, the word of God, the word of the kingdom of God, and the gospel, and he tells about four different soils. There are four different places where this seed comes to rest. And the first one we find here, it's this It's the soil of of what we could call an indifferent heart. It's an indifferent heart. Here's the sower. He's walking through this field, and and, and some seed comes to to, to land to rest on this stony path. Okay? It falls on hard, infertile ground. It's not a place where you're going to expect to get a good crop. And Jesus is saying this is how some people respond to the word of God. It comes to them through preaching like right now this morning. It comes through teaching. It comes through conversation with a friend who's a Christian. It comes through being raised in a Christian family, wherever it might come from. But the word of God comes to this person and it just falls on stony ground. It would be like me throwing seed up here on this wooden stage. It just falls on hard ground. This is the person with a, with a hard heart, an indifferent heart, a heart that really doesn't care much for God. It really is not interested in what God says and what happens to the word. When Jesus says Satan comes and immediately takes it away. That's what Satan does, by the way. That's what he wants to do right now. You, you don't see this happening. I don't see this happening. But I'm telling you, it's happening. It's reality. He hates God. He hates the Word of God. He hates for the Word of God to have any effect in your life. He would hate for you to hear this Word, to believe it, to accept it, to love Jesus and to bear fruit for His name. And so he would come in and snatch up the Word of God and take it away so it has no effect. And he's always working to do that, to keep you distracted, to keep you indifferent, to keep you cold, to take away the Word. And that's what happens with some people. It just lands on the sidewalk. Lands on the path. Nothing happens. Satan takes it away. No good comes from it. This is an indifferent heart. And some of you, Jesus says, are like this. You hear the word of God preached, but it doesn't do anything in you. You come to church, 
but you're really not interested in what's being said. Your thoughts are somewhere else. Your desires are somewhere else. You keep looking at the time. You keep thinking of what you need to do. You don't pay attention. Word of God has no impact on you. You don't see the point of it. You don't see what difference it makes. You don't see what it has to do with you or, or how it would have any change in your life. And the fact is it doesn't change your life. Jesus is saying there are lots of people like that. There, there are some of you like that. Week after week, Sunday after Sunday, the devil just snatches up the word that's sown. It's like water falling on the ground and it just hits hard soil and runs off and it, it does no good. There's no fear of God in your life. There's no faith. There's no feeling of, of him. There's no grace. There's no knowledge of the truth, no interest. You just don't care. It's as if Jesus never lived, never died, never rose again. It's as if none of this ever happened. And this parable is saying there are some people like that. And I would be unfaithful if I didn't assume and, and speak as if there weren't some of you here like this today. In this parable, Jesus, in his great, this is a kind act of God's mercy to hold up this parable as a mirror in front of your face and say, is this how you're going to live? Are you going to die like this? Hard and indifferent, not caring? Are you going to stand before God like this one day? Well, some people respond to the kingdom of God like this. But then there's a second soil. You see it in verses 5 and 6. That's what we could call a superficial heart. It's not indifferent altogether, but it's superficial. You see Jesus in verse 5. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up. There's no root to it. You see him explain this down in verses 16 and 17. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it, interestingly, with joy. Oh, yes, I believe this. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for, for a while. But then when tribulation comes, when, when persecution arises on account of that word that they've apparently accepted, it, it, it goes away. They turn away from it. It shows that it didn't really take root in them. It's a superficial heart. The seed falls on the ground. It's the soil's not very good, but the seed finds something to settle into, and it immediately springs up, but it falls away. The plant withers and dies. Jesus says some people are like this. There's an apparent response to the word, but just keep watching, and they fall away. When it becomes hard to be a Christian... When God in his word says things that you don't really like and you decide you don't want to believe them, then you'll go your own way and, and it'll show that the, the seed really didn't take root in your heart. It was superficial. It was only apparent. It wasn't genuine. Again, Jesus is saying, some of you are like this. You're here. You're even glad to be here. You've tasted something of God's grace. Maybe this church has really served and encouraged you in some significant ways. You've experienced some attraction to the gospel, but there's no depth. There's no depth in your life. There's no real work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You have some knowledge of the Bible. You have some experiences of grace, some experiences of being close to the kingdom of God, and you, you're affected by some of its power. Maybe even get enthusiastic sometimes about it. 
but it's shallow. And when you run into trouble, you live as if you'd never heard the word. Now, this happens when suffering enters the life, Jesus says. So what happens to a person? They profess to be a Christian. They're baptized. They join the church. There's joy. There's enthusiasm. Now, what happens years later? You lose your job. You're unable to have children, though you long for them. You're you're not married, though you want to be. Your spouse rejects you. You get cancer. Your child gets sick. Your child dies. Your church lets you down. Your friends push you away because you believe these strange things in the Bible. You find that the Bible teaches things that the world doesn't, doesn't agree with and in fact hates. And so you begin to be uncomfortable with taking a stand and getting heat for taking stands like that. And so you begin to drift. You begin to turn away and... Jesus is saying, that's when you can distinguish a true disciple from a counterfeit, is when suffering comes, when it becomes hard to be a Christian, when trials come. And so the question, among other questions, is will you take a stand for what the Bible teaches regardless of what others say? Will you identify yourself with God's kingdom when that is painful and costly for you and when you don't understand what God is doing? Will you still confess Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord? And will you love him and will you trust him and will you listen to him? And will you submit to him and will you honor him and obey him when you don't understand and when you don't really like it very much? And when other people reject you for it? Persecution was rampant in the early church. Jesus knew that would be the case for his disciples. He made no bones about it with them. He never led them to believe it would be easy to follow him. And persecution is still a reality for scores of Christians around the world. You realize that there have been more Christian martyrs in the last hundred years than in the entire history of the church. How do you think they stand in the face of threats and persecution? You think an easy, superficial Christianity will do it? The question answers itself, doesn't it? And it presents another one. Are you rooted deeply? Are you rooted deeply in the Word of God? You profess to be a Christian, but Jesus would take you down farther because Jesus doesn't just, Jesus doesn't want grass, He wants trees. Are you grass or are you a tree? You might not be a very impressive tree yet. But are you a tree? Do the roots go down deep? Are they drinking in the nutrients of the word of God and feeding on the realities of his kingdom, living humbly under his hand? Well, if that's the case, then he'll grow you up and you'll stand. And that's the point. When Jesus calls people to follow him, he's saying he's come to plant trees. So this parable, by pointing out the reality of superficial soil, and there's a warning for some of you. If you're not really taking advantage of opportunities to grow in Christian maturity, to take seriously the word of God and the realities of his kingdom, then don't think that you'll stand in the end. Don't think that you'll stand when the wind blows and the storms come. Root deeply in the word. But then there's a third soil. And it's it's the soil of a distracted heart. Verse 7, Jesus says, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. There's a progression here. You see it starts with an indifferent heart. 
Then it gets a little bit better. There's a superficial heart. There's some response, but it proves to be inauthentic. And now there's even a little bit more depth. There's this distracted heart. The seed goes down. It grows up. There's some fruitful soil. But in the end, though the word enters, the thorns choke it out. And Jesus identifies two thorns. And I want to point them out very quickly, uh, at least in my notes. I go into these in a lot more detail, and I'd like to do that now. But I'm just going to touch on them quickly. Here are the two thorns, and you can notice them here in verse 7. And in verses 18 and 19, two thorns. The first thorn, the first kind of thorn, the cares of this life, the cares of the world, the worries of life. And I would suggest to you that this is probably the biggest single threat to our spiritual vitality. Greater than persecution because it's sneaky. And it slips in and it chips away at us. And we don't realize what's happening. But here's what Jesus is saying. All the stuff in your life, the stuff you worry about, the stuff that kind of presses in on you every day, the stuff you feel just sort of pushing, pushing, waiting, demanding, needs to be done. You've got to pay attention to it. You've got to get it done. You're behind. It's there. It's waiting. It's demanding. It's reminding. It's popping up on your desktop, on your smartphone. It's always there, isn't it? It's all there. There's bills that need to be paid. There are children that need to, need to be cared for. Or there are grown children who you worry about. There are jobs to be found and secured. There are uh, degrees to be completed, papers to be written, deadlines to be met, emails that you're behind on. I know I am. And there are all these cares of life and so on, nagging health problems. There's just this stuff that's always there. And Jesus is saying... These cares of life, if we're not alert and awake, become thorns that in the end choke out the word. Let me ask you this question. Think about this week as you try to read the Bible. You try to carve out some time. You're going to sit down and read the Bible and pray. And what happens so often? You you, you sit down and you open up the Bible or you pull it up however you read it. And what immediately starts to flood into your mind? It's all these cares of life. It's all these things that are weighing you down. It's all these things you don't have questions for, but you know you've got to figure it out. And so you read the Word, but you don't profit from it. Your mind is somewhere else. And so the Word doesn't have its effect in your life. Or maybe you don't get around to reading it at all because I'm just too busy. There's too much to be done. I've got to get this ready. I've got to respond to this. I've got to get the kids here. I've got to... And you never really even enter into the Word. And Jesus is saying, look, you need to see that there's a greater reality going on than just you didn't get to the Bible today. It's that the cares of life are like thorns and they're choking the word out of your heart. And that it's more serious than you think. And that there are some people who will receive it for a while and bear fruit, but in the end the cares of life grow up and the thorns take over the garden. And what once grew is no longer there. But he says there's another kind of thorn that The thorn of the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. Here's the thing, very simply. If what you are thinking about is how to get more, whatever it might be, and then how to maintain it, how to keep it, how to build on it, 
It can begin very subtly. It begin begin while you're in college. I want to get this degree so I can get this job so I can live like my parents lived or better than my parents lived so that I can have a nicer this, a nicer that. What Jesus says is very subtly, this is also what's happening is thorns are growing up out of the ground and you don't, you're not aware of it and they're choking, choking the word out. Because the desire for riches, not riches themselves, but the desire for riches becomes like an engine that drives your life somewhere you never meant it to go. And it drives you rather than the glory of God and of his kingdom and of his word. And it comes a point where there's other stuff that's more important to you than God's word and God's kingdom. And what is revealed in the end is that you're not in the kingdom. Because you really, in the end, don't listen to his word but to your own desires. But then finally, in verse 8, there's a receptive heart. It's a fourth soil, fertile soil. It's a receptive heart. This is the person who grows, who receives the word, who accepts it, who enters into the kingdom through Jesus Christ and who begins to bear fruit for him, begins to move in Christ-like obedience and service. There's repentance in your life. There's faith in Jesus in your life. You, you're hating sin. You're, you don't want to sin. You find that you do sin and it grieves you and You move toward the Lord and say, Lord, help me. I want to serve you, but my service is so weak. Please help me. Please grow me. Please change me. And people begin to see in your life that there's meekness, there's humility, there's patience, there's love, there's there's joy, there's reverence for him. There's a love for his word, a love for his kingdom, a devotion to the church. These things are real. They begin to grow. We see them in many of you. And it's a wonderful thing to see. And this is really the main point of the parable. If all we focus on is the negative responses, those who are indifferent, those who are superficial, those who are distracted, then we miss the point of what Jesus is saying because he's saying this. I have come and the seed of the word is being scattered. The kingdom of God has been established. And where good seed is sown into good soil, it will produce good trees that bear good fruit. It will always happen. The kingdom of God is growing. It is expanding. Jesus is building it. He's building his kingdom. He's moving it to all these places in the world that we've not even seen and gathering in people that you have not even met or considered. His kingdom is growing. It's extending. And this will always happen because of who's in the center of the parable. Jesus, the sower. He's sowing the word of God. You know, it doesn't seem like it right now. But whether it's Hal standing up here or me or Matt or whether it's Jeff Thompson or Justin Clement or some other, any other faithful minister of the gospel, every time the word is preached, you know what Jesus is doing? Scattering the seed. Scattering the seed. It's fallen on you. Seed of the kingdom. The kingdom has come. It's the word of this good word that the kingdom of God has come. And this parable is saying, now what? How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to this kingdom? It doesn't look like a kingdom has come, does it? There's been no pomp. There's been no parade Actually, there is a parade, according to Paul, in 2 Corinthians 2, but it's not the kind you expect. It's the kind where the king comes and he leads behind him this sort of straggled, beat-up-looking group. And they're singing praises to him. But it doesn't look like there's a kingdom that's come. 
So how do you respond to what you're hearing? Because there will be a day when there will be no mistake. Every every creature, every man, every woman, every child, every human being ever created in all the history of the world will see with their eyes the coming glory of Jesus Christ. And there will be no question, who's that? Huh. I wonder... Huh, I wonder, wonder who, he, who he is. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The presence, the glorious final presence of the kingdom of God will be clear. But for now, it's a word. It's like seed. It's a promise, it's, a, it's an announcement, the announcement of the gospel that Jesus Christ, the sin bearer, has come. And in his death and resurrection has established the reign of God over you and invites you to respond to him. Now, here's the final question. Are you going to disregard him and put him off? Are you going to say yes to him but be content for your life to say no? Are you going to allow your desire for other things to keep you from an all-out commitment to Jesus Christ? Or will you hear the word? even this, this morning, for the first time, or again, hear it and accept it and bring forth fruit. Because there's this question that really needs to be answered. It needs to be settled, and it can be settled once for all in your mind. What will the king say to you on that day? Will he come to you? Will he appear to you as a judge because you have rejected and resisted him and loved other things rather than him? Or will he appear to you as a father as the Savior, and you'll say with all the company of his people, at last the Lord is here. We have waited for him, and he has come. Because here's the thing. What you will hear from God the King on that day is determined by how you respond to his word on this day. And if you will hear, if you want to hear those words of blessing and salvation from him on that day, which he freely offers, freely offers to all of you, then you must listen to these words, these words from him on this day. And if you will, you can be sure that this king will save you completely and fully and freely and receive you into his kingdom, not only in this life, but in the life to come. So Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the kingdom of God that has come. You have shattered through the darkness of our sin. You've shattered through the darkness of this world and its foolishness. And we thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ, death has been destroyed. Sin has been crushed under his foot. 
And there is new life growing throughout the world. It's growing in this room. It's been growing in this church. It's been growing in this town. And it's been growing everywhere the gospel goes. Give faith to those who have resisted and rejected. Give faith to those who have been distracted and shallow. Give endurance to those who have believed and who have taken Christ for themselves. And grow, we pray, grow us into great trees that bear an exceptional harvest for your name and for your glory. In Christ we ask it. Amen.